This morning's Bible reading is from Numbers 1, verses 1 to 19, and then 44 to 54. <clears throat> Numbers 1, verses 1. The census. The Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of the in the tent of meeting in the desert of Sinai, on the first day of the second month of the second year after the Israelites came out of Egypt. He said, Take a census of the whole Israelite community by their clans and families, listing every man by name, one by one. You and Aaron are to count according to their divisions all the men in Israel who are twenty years old or more and able to serve in the army. One man from each tribe, each of them the head of his family, is to help you. These are the names of the men who are to assist you. And in the next few verses, the Bible lists for us the names of the heads of the families. We then continue from verse 16. These are the men appointed from the community, the leaders of their ancestral tribes. They were the heads of the clans of Israel. Moses and Aaron took these men whose names had been specified and they called the whole community together on the first day of the second month. The people registered their ancestry by their clans and families and the men 20 years old or more were listed by name, one by one. As the Lord commanded Moses, and so he counted them in the desert of Sinai. We then continue at Numbers 1. From verses 44 to 54. These were the men counted by Moses and Aaron and the twelve leaders of Israel, each one representing his family. All the Israelites, twenty years old or more, who were able to serve in the Israelite, Israel's army were counted according to their families. The total number was 603,550. The ancestral tribes of the Levites, however, was not counted along with the others. The Lord had said to Moses, You must not count the tribe of Levi or include them in the census of the other Israelites. Instead, appoint the Levites to be in charge of the tabernacle of the covenant law, over all its furnishings and everything belonging to it. They are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They are to take care of it and encamp around it. Whenever the tabernacle is to be to move, the Levites are to take it down. And whenever the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall do it. Anyone else who approaches it is to be put to death. The Israelites are to set up their tents by divisions, tents by divisions, each of them in their own camp under their standard. The Levites, however, are to set up their tents around the tabernacle of the covenant law, so that my wrath will not fall in the Israelite community. The Levites are to be responsible for the care of the tabernacle of the covenant law. The Israelites did all this just as Lord commanded Moses. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Um, my name's Steve, if I haven't met you. If I haven't met you, I'd be um, happy to meet you after church. As um, 
we're thinking about numbers 1 to 10. I feel like having to say today's sermon's brought to you by yeah, Sesame Street. Not at all, but it is a fun part of the Bible, um, looking through the Old Testament, parts of the Bible which quite often you don't read. And so as we look through Leviticus, and now we're looking through numbers, we're going through significant chunks, big chunks, so that we can make sense of what we're reading. And hopefully that'll give you a bit of incentive to go through and look at all the details along the way. And there are bits which I'll skip over today, and I won't even mention. And you'll think, did he miss that? Yeah, that was deliberate, particularly chapter 8, verse 25. I won't mention it. Let's pray as we come to look at God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that you have demonstrated your love for us by sending your son Jesus to die our death for us. Lord, thank you too for the way that you are continuing to show your love for us by helping us persevere with our trust in you and by preparing a home for us with you. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to obey you and to follow you until we arrive home, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to um, look at Numbers, the book, have in the back of your mind heaven, home with God in heaven. Many years, um, we as a family would travel down to, to Sydney through Taree every Christmas time. So around about this time of year, we'd be planning the trip. We tried all sorts of things like getting up nice and early so that the kids would be asleep by the time we hit Grafton, that sort of trick. But it was a great time to get away, to see family, to catch up and then kind of get refreshed and come back to Brisbane to, to the new year. It was nice to be away, but it was always better to be home, to be out of the car, out, stop living out of bags, be able to be in your own house, in your own beds and sleep well, have the kids stop eating all the treats from the grandparents, all that sort of stuff. So many reasons why it was good to be home. And so as you look at the book of Numbers, think about it that way, heading home, heading to a place where you stop travelling, the journey's over, you can unpack and settle down. When I was growing up, we had quite a significant homecoming after living overseas for four years. We came home on furlough or home assignment. And it was a bit of a different homecoming because we were coming home to a place where we didn't really, us, us little kids, we didn't really remember anything. I mean, I was three when we left, seven coming home. So all we had was phone calls on those trunk calls occasionally, cassette tapes, photos, lots of letters. All, the, all we had was what other people told us about what home was like. It starts to get a bit more like thinking about numbers, doesn't it? Thinking about heaven. But when we did come home, we came home to a place where everything had been prepared for us. Family who I know we had met but we didn't remember, met us at the airport, greeted us, took us back to a home where our beds were made for us, there were presents on the end of the bed. It was a particularly memorable homecoming, one where we were coming to a new home, one that had been prepared for us. So what I'm saying is read numbers with heaven in mind, and by heaven I mean the place that Jesus is preparing for us, a place where everything is set in place, where there's rest, there's peace, and everything and everyone sings praises to God. So read Numbers with heaven in mind. And as we read about this nation of Israel in the book of Numbers, yeah, it's only a shadow that's cast by the reality of heaven and what it means to be God's people. This is like a small-scale model that we're looking at. Um, at the beginning of Numbers, what we see is God lovingly leading his redeemed people 
He's redeemed them out of slavery in Egypt, lovingly leading his redeemed people, leading them home to the place that he's prepared for them in Canaan. Just like he lovingly leads his redeemed, forgiven people home now through Jesus. So if you have your sermon outline open in front of you, you'll realise it's not actually a great sermon outline. If I do um, invite sermon feedback this week, yeah, that'll be the first thing that gets burnt. Because the points kind of one and two, they're sort of rolled into one. So it's not, but ignore that. What we're looking at is the way that God guides his obedient, ordered army of people to the home that he's preparing for them. The book of Numbers, it's the fourth book in our Bibles, fourth book of the Old Testament. Um, As you look back through what, what you would have read, if you get to Numbers in Genesis, God made everything. And in particular, he made the Israelites, the descendants of of Abraham. Um, That's Genesis. God saved the people of Israel out of slavery, out of the pits of oppression of slavery in Egypt, gathered them round himself at Mount Sinai. That's Exodus. And then you come to Leviticus where God spells out everything that is required of his people to make them holy. And then you come to Numbers. And this tells us about the way that God is going to lead his army of people into battle to claim the land that he's giving them. And the first 10 chapters that we're looking at today show the setting up and all the preparations for the journey to home to the land of Canaan. Um, On this journey, God's going to guide his people. He's going to be one that sets the pace. He's going to be one that guides them there. And the idea is that his people, the nation of Israel, will obediently follow the Lord, Yahweh, as he guides. In order just to appreciate how God guides, come to the other end of these chapters. Come ahead to chapter 9. And if you look at chapter 9, verse 15, um, God's going to show, God, uh, back in the end of Exodus, you see God showing his presence among his people in the cloud that settles over the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. So then you pick it up in chapter 9, verse 15. On the day the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law was set up, a cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud was above the tabernacle, looked look like fire. That's how it continued to be. The cloud covered it at night and looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out. And at his command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in the camp. You get the the picture, don't you? The people of Israel move as the presence of God, the cloud, moves. When it settles on the tabernacle, they stay encamped. When it lifts, they start packing up and moving out. Um, If you pick it up in verse 19, when the cloud remained over the tabernacle for a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Verse 20, sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command, they would encamp. And And then at his command, they would set out. And verse 21, sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning. And when it lifted in the morning, they set out whether by day or by night, whether, whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. You get the picture? This is constantly on edge, always ready to pack up all your belongings and move. And as they pack up, you'll see as you keep reading through these chapters how detailed that process is. But that's the way that God will lead his people. And the idea is they will obediently follow wherever God leads them, as God purposefully guides them. That's chapter 9. Um, The rest of these chapters, chapters 1 to 10, cover the 20 days of preparation for this journey, the the final 20 days of preparation before they head out 
to go to the land of Canaan, the border, ready to cross in. So if you look at the timing that I'm talking about, if you look at chapter 10, verse 11, remember they set up camp here at Mount Sinai way back in Exodus chapter 19. They've been there for a long time. In chapter 9, they've been there for a year, a month, and 20 days. So 10 verse 11 says, On the 20th day of the second month of the second year, the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle of the covenant law. Then the Israelites set out from the desert of Sinai and travelled from the place to place until the cloud came to rest in the desert of Paran. And then if you come back to chapter 1, verse 1, you'll see how this begins. 1, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting in the desert of Sinai on the first day of the second month of the second year after the Israelites came out of Egypt. There's your dating, there's your timing. This is like a 20 days of preparation before they move out. So Numbers 1 to 10 are going to show us how God prepares his people, what he tells them to do. Um, The preparations in chapter 1 to 10, when you read through it, it reads of these people like an army. We call the book Numbers because they number off the people. But what they're doing is they're numbering off the fighting men. This is an army that God is setting up. Um, The part of the preparation is to form up this army and have them moving at God's command so that when they come to the land of Canaan, they'll move in and fight for it and win it. So let's look across the chapters now. If you look at chapter 1, verse 2, you see the first act of preparation is to conduct this census. It's not the kind of census where you're trying to work out the demographics, trying to work out your health care, this sort of thing. It's numbering off the army, counting off the fighting men. So if you look at 1, verse 3, you and Aaron are to count according to their divisions all the men in Israel who are 20 years old or more and able to serve in the army. Work out what your force is. Work out what your fighting men can do. God wants to to form an army to march to the land of Canaan to win it. As you read on through the rest of chapter 1, you see this army, God's army, totals 603,550 fighting men. And they're represented in their divisions by tribes. Um, Back in Genesis, you meet, if you look at Genesis chapter 49, you'll see the list of all the tribes. Remember, Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, Jacob's name gets changed to Israel, he has 12 boys, they're the 12 tribes of Israel. But as you look through chapter 1, there's a couple of things that go different. Firstly, the Levites, the tribe of Levi, they're not counted among the fighting men. And the second thing is, um, to make up the 12, I guess, Joseph's two sons, Ephraim um, and Manasseh, are both counted, both given a division Um, If you look at 1 verse 47, you discover why the Levites are not counted in this army. The Levites, they're reserved. They're held back. They're prevented from fighting. They're held back to take care of the tabernacle. They're the ones who will look after the tabernacle. And the way it speaks of it, it reminds you of the seriousness of this tent of meeting, this place where God dwells among his people. Mess around in that place and you don't come out. The, the Levites, it's their job to make sure that the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, the most holy place is all looked after. And they're the ones who will transport the tabernacle. So when the cloud lifts and it's got to be packed up, there's a special procedure of how to pack this up and how to move it out so that no one touches what they shouldn't touch. But as you look at this, you notice that this army has a whole tribe taken out of the equation, set aside for God. 
the importance of God is shown in this army or in this camp in other ways too. So if you keep reading through chapter 2, you'll see this Israelite camp. It's a very ordered camp. Every tribe has its place to set up its tent. So they stop moving and out they come and they set up in a very ordered way. If you look at chapter 2 and read from verses 3 to 9, three tribes by their division set up on the east of the tabernacle under the standard or under the banner of the tribe of Judah. And then if you look at verses um, 10 to 16, three tribes by their divisions are in the south under the standard or the banner of Reuben. And then in 2 verse 17, you're reminded that in the middle, around the tabernacle, the Levites are the camp, kind of keeping the people away from the tabernacle, but also making access possible, looking after everything to do with where God dwells among the people. And then if you look at verses um, eight, chapter 2, verses 18 to 24, the tribes by the divisions on the west are all under the banner of Ephraim. Remember one of Joseph's sons. And then finally, um, around, around the banner of Dan in the north, you have three more tribes in verses 25 to 31. And we're told in verse 34 that everybody did as God had commanded them. A very ordered camp, but can you see what it's doing? It's got God in the middle, dwelling among his people. Everything about these people is devoted to looking after the way this is set up with God in the middle. The description of this army of Israelites makes it abundantly clear that for this people, God is at the center of everything. Everything they do, every time they pack up, every time they set up, God is in the heart of everything they do. Everything is focused around looking after this tabernacle, this place where they meet with God. And as you look at this, like they're literally living their life around God, focused on him, living for him. God's at the center of everything that they do. And I can't help thinking, yeah, even as Christians, when we're, we're reading this from a New Testament perspective, but surely there's something to notice there for us as Christians. I mean, we fill our lives with so many things, but surely we should have Jesus at the heart, shouldn't we? And I reckon that's what you do see in the New Testament. I mean, if you think, for example, about a verse in um, Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, verse 1, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Then it goes on to say everything you're living for is bound up with Jesus, safe with Jesus. Live everything for him. Back to Numbers, though. We're back to the, the camp of the... Israelites. Um, we keep reading. We come through chapter three. We're told that the Israelites they camp around this tabernacle in the middle of the, the camp. The Levites there to perform the duties in the tabernacle on behalf of the rest of the community. It's like they're acting on behalf of all of Israel, and that's underlined when you look at chapter three, verse twelve, for example, where God has taken the Levites in place of each of the firstborn from all the families. In Israel, you get that? So the Levites, they're all to be counted off like the fighting men were, but they're counting from a lot younger. And then you count how many Israelites, firstborns there are in all Israel. And because there are more firstborn Israelites than there are Levites, some money needs to be paid to redeem. But all this, is, I think, is communicating that the Levites, they represent Israel, they act on behalf of the people. 
hugely significant. This task of the Levites in this army is to serve the Lord in a way that maintains God's presence among them, but keeps this access to God on behalf of the rest of the tribes. And like the rest of Israel, the Levites, they too, they're camped in the northerly way. So when you zoom in around the tabernacle, what you'll see is around the tabernacle on the west, you've got the, the Gershonite clans. Um, and they also have a specific responsibility for the tabernacle tent, some of the curtains, um, and some ropes. It's their job to look after that part of the tabernacle. And then if you look to the south, you've got the Kohath clans camped to the south, and they have the responsibility for the ark and the lampstand and some of the other precious things that are in the Holy of Holies. Every time they pack up, it's their job to make sure it's wrapped up in such a way that it can be carried without being touched and so on and so on. And then you look down in 33, 30, um, sorry, chapter 3, 33 to 37, and the Merari clans, they're camped on the north. They're responsible for the frames of the tabernacle, the poles, the posts, the things that hold this tent up. And then you look down in chapter th- um, 3, verse 38, Moses and Aaron and their sons, they're the priestly tribe. They're on the east, and they're responsible for the sanctuary itself. They're, they're the ones that do the, the packing up. It's all very, very, very ordered. And then you roll into chapter 4. We're doing this quick walk over these chapters when you come to chapter 4, um, we're still thinking about the Levites and the tabernacle. We're told who does what in caring for the tabernacle. Um, for example, Aaron and his sons are the only ones permitted to pack up what's in the Holy of Holies. It's the Kohathites who will wrap things up for transporting, and on it goes. Every time the cloud lifts from the tabernacle, all these, all these people get into action, buzzing around. Um, there's more details, but the point is fairly clear, isn't it? God is interested in every detail of what these people do. They're serving him in everything that they do. And you see the surprising extent of God's interest in everyday matters when you keep reading through chapter 5 and into chapter 6. And then you come to chapter 7. We're speeding across these chapters, I know. And we're given this flashback to when the tabernacle was first constructed and commissioned and the way things are to be dedicated. In chapter 8, you've got the way the priests, the Levites, are to be set apart. And then you come to chapter 9, in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 9, we're told how the people celebrated the Passover, remembering how they came out of slavery in Egypt. And then you keep reading and you're back to where we started. Um, And in 10 verses 11 to 13, they set out. They begin their march. That's the kind of the really quick look across the first 10 chapters of the book of Numbers. the way these 20 days of preparation took place at the foot of Mount Sinai as God prepares his army of people for the journey that's ahead of them. God's going to guide his army of people to the home that's prepared, that he's preparing for them. And so for us, we're reading this as Christians. We're looking back at this. Um, and as you look at it as Christians, to understand the significance, yeah, you've got to do that. You've got to look backwards and you've got to look forwards. Start by looking backwards even further Back to the time when God made promises to Abraham. Just have a look at those verses on the screen. Uh, Genesis 12 from verse 1. These are the verses which, in your Old Testament, they should have a little box around them, a little highlighter. It's the, the key verses. So 12 verse 1, The Lord said to Abram, whose name gets changed to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you, I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. 
and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. There's Abram told, go on a journey to the place I'll send you. I'll make you great. I'll bless you. All nations will be blessed through you. It's huge promises to Abraham. And you look at verse 4. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. They made it. But as you keep reading, Abraham only ever lived in Canaan in a tent. The only land he owned in Canaan was enough land to bury his wife Sarah in, and that was it. And now many, many, many years later, God is faithful to this promise he made to Abraham and he's bringing back this great nation of people. Abraham has become a great nation. God has blessed them. He's now going to give them the land that he promised. And as we read this as New Testament Christians looking back, I think what you can see is Numbers is this reminder of the fact that God keeps his promises. God is faithful. As you look backwards, you appreciate the detail to which God keeps his promises. This journey in Numbers is a journey that fulfills God's promises to Abram. And you look at that and you realise, yeah, our God is a faithful God who keeps his promises. And that ought to be a massive encouragement for us to have confidence in God as we wait for what we've been promised. That Jesus will return. That when Jesus returns, he'll rule over everything. That when Jesus returns, we'll dwell with him in heaven, in God's presence. God's made that promise. We look backwards and we see he's faithful to his promises. It encourages us. So reading Numbers encourages us as Christians to keep trusting that God will do exactly what he said he would do. And Jesus will return and we will be at home with God. Um, what we see reassures us. We look backwards, then we also look forwards. So you, you, you draw a line in Numbers and you look forwards at what happens. And what you see is sin continues to mess around with God's people. As you read past this point in chapter 10, the journey to the promised land, it becomes prolonged because what was meant to happen doesn't quite happen. Um, we see all that goes wrong as we keep reading through numbers. What was required that this, was that this nation, this army of people would fight their way into Canaan, what happens is they chicken out. They fail to trust. They fail to obey. They fail to trust that God was giving them the land. But you get to look at that as we keep reading through numbers. As you look further forward, we see God's people, they eventually get into the land under Joshua, but then they lose it to the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And then they get it back again, and then they lose it to the Romans, and around and around it goes. As you look forward from Sinai, you see sin continuing to be a problem. But when you come to the New Testament, you see how Jesus deals with sin. So this stuff we're looking at in Numbers is like the the small-scale model, the shadow that helps us understand God, helps us understand us as humans, the way God works, the way we mess things up. God partially fulfills his promises to Abraham in the Old Testament, but he completely fulfills them in Jesus as all nations, not just Israelites, are blessed through Jesus, the descendant of Abraham. And Jesus is like the perfect Israelite, the one who does what others would never do. But in coming weeks, we get to look at all that. In coming weeks, as we read through Numbers, we read about this, this march, and as we look backwards and look forwards, as Christians, we learn about God and about us and learn to trust God more. 
The Israelites are marching to the promised land. For us, we should be thinking about the land or the place that God is preparing for us, the rest that God is preparing for us. Um, What do we do with numbers? Well, we read it and we learn about God, we learn about his faithfulness, and we learn about us, we learn about our sin. And we grow to appreciate everything that Jesus has done. On the way through, we'll we'll go into um, bits of 1 Corinthians 10. We'll go into Hebrews 3 and 4, passages which look back at these times. But you'll come to that later. So far in Numbers, what we see is God's people is, is an army forming up for this march to the place God's giving them. And the battle will take as they, a battle will happen as they come into Canaan. As we read about this and think about it, yeah, the question for us is, where are you heading? Do you count yourself among God's people, obediently serving Jesus on your way home to a home that Jesus is preparing for you, that you've heard all about? You've seen the, you know, the letters, but you've never been there yet. I pray that you are on that journey. And if you are on that journey, then are you obediently being led home? Have you set up your life with Jesus at the heart of everything? Are you preparing for, for battle? to fight for God. Um, I can tell you um, statistically, if I live a full life, I'm over halfway there. So I can tell you looking back, life is full of battles and there'll be many more to come. But let me show you the battle that really matters. If you find your way to Ephesians chapter 6, which I did intend to put on the screen, but I don't have it, or I do. No, I don't. Sorry. I was going to put it on the screen, so I can't. So if you can find Ephesians chapter 6 and find your way to verse 10, it gives you the New Testament understanding of what our battle is like. And our battle is one where it's not about um, Canaanites. Our battle is one to keep trusting Jesus. Um, our enemy is Satan, the deceiver, the one who deceives us and tricks us, makes us think that you know, maybe God won't keep, it, keep his promises, makes us think that you, know, you can't trust Jesus. Satan, he's the deceiver, and then when we succumb to his temptation, he's the accuser, pointing the finger at us and, fought, and, and accusing us. Um, basically, Satan can make your life hell. I guess that's what he wants to do. And li- as we listen to the devil's schemes, it, he distorts the way we should be viewing this world, and the way we should be living for God. But if you come and look at Ephesians chapter 6, from verse 10, this is the, the battle that we're in. So finally, be strong in the Lord, that's strong in Jesus, and in his mighty power, put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. As you're reading through Numbers, yeah, that's the picture to have in mind. We're on the way home to be with Jesus. And along the way, there's battles to be fought. At the start of the book of Numbers, we see God lovingly leading his redeemed people home. Well, that's us. He's redeemed us from sin. And he's lovingly leading us home. Um, when we put our trust in Jesus, we're saved from sin and all its consequences. We've seen that time and again on our way through Leviticus. And we begin our march with Jesus at the centre of our life, um, our march to heaven. 
I'm going to pray for us, and then in the next few weeks, well, we get to look at all the, the details on the way through the rest of Numbers, but let's pray at this point. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the way that you've shown your love for us in sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for the sure forgiveness that we know in him. Lord, thank you for the fact that Jesus is preparing a place for us with you, a home with you. Please help us to trust and obey and to fight for you while we wait for the day when we will arrive home. Lord, please help us to keep living with Jesus at the centre of everything we do. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.